Welcome to Conversations from the Edge of Consciousness. I'm your host, Christine Madeira. For me, and possibly for you, the inner world of consciousness has always been much more real and way more fun than the so-called real material world. Growing up, I thought I was alone in this, but I'm not. There are a lot of us, and far too many have no one to talk to who shares this experience. I've been lucky to cultivate a community of friends who love to talk about the energies, ideas, and vibrations that are pushing the edges of our own consciousness, as well as our collective consciousness. In Conversations from the Edge, we share our conversations with you. Welcome to Conversations from the Edge. This is your host, Christine Madeira, and we are back with Dr. Jen Phoenix Hatfield. And thank you for being here, Dr. Jen. It's always fun to talk with you. It's good to talk to you as well. All right. So what do you want to tell people about you? About me? Yeah. I know okay. it's a surprise that I ask you that question. I know. I know. <laughs> you do this every time. And I'm never, I'm never prepared. Um, you know, years ago when I first read Brene Brown and she talked about normalizing discomfort in referring to change, I received this gift from a friend and it was this little um, ceramic trophy that she had painted. And it was that I had, uh, I was the doctor of normalizing discomfort. <laughs> and the reason she did that was because actively and intentionally in my day, I took the steps for me to heal. I took the steps for me to process what was keeping me from doing just that, normalizing discomfort. And as a result, I was seeing my life open up and change in some really beautiful and amazing ways and could not only support my clients and patients in doing that for themselves, but I was basically walking the walk and I could give them concrete examples of how it had changed my life. So I would say I hold a doctorate in normalizing discomfort for my life <laughs> and for supporting others to do the same in theirs. All right, perfect. Well, and that really is then the perfect introduction because we were going to be talking today about change. And, you know, what I had noticed for me in this process, and, and I've been working with, you know, normalizing discomfort for years and years as well for myself and for, for clients and things. And um, just because it was a fun thing to do in this time, of coronavirus and all that is unfolding from it that we're being asked in or demanded or whatever we need to change so many things about our life just to be able to work from home to teach our kids from home to adapt our our work if we have work or to find different ways of being in the world and and different ways of showing up as ourselves and there's so many things that are pushing us to change and to grow. And I was noticing, because even though I really enjoy growth, this high level of demand that we were getting to grow and change was, was bringing up various layers of discomfort around change and like how, how like different survival layers as that was kind of coming up through the DNA and coming up through, you know, long-term um, ancestral patterns and things like that. And how much resistance we really hold, you know, outside of the surface um, stuff that's going on to change. And even though with kids, like kids grow, we expect them to grow. We expect them to change. We want them to develop. And that kind of comes to an end sometime after high school or college where we kind of 
expect people to become who they are and stay that way. And then when, when we continue to need to change, whether we're adapting to another job or we're adapting to something like this, like that change becomes uncomfortable and threatening. And since change and growth are the things that we actually um, have to do right now if we want to stay sane, I wanted to talk with Dr. Jen about that because we've both been we're working on this for a long time. So it's a long way of saying we're talking about change. So I'm just going to pass it over to you for this moment without an actual question. But I know that you've worked with a lot of this as well. So what's your perspective on growth and change? Growth and change is living. That if something's not growing and changing, Mm -hmm. it's dead. That's true. Yes. So the idea that so many of us want things to stay the same. And I remember this for me. I remember at a point in my life, my goal used to be to get to a place in my life that I could keep as many things as I could the same Mm -hmm. until I started having daily migraine headaches and finding myself in pain. And what I came to realize was that in trying to control things and keep things the same, where it was being felt was in my body because my body was saying my being was saying change movement growth is life mm-hmm. and i was trying to keep things like status quo would i would go so far as to say keep things static or stagnant um, and because of the effort i was putting into doing that it had an adverse effect on my overall health and well-being well i don't think you're alone in that I and mean, if you look at us now as well just as as a society we've really been doing that and we're it's exposing all of the the things that don't work with that the things that the the health issues and the financial issues and the the systems that we have that when when things can't be held and forced to be the same, how how much they just fall apart. And, and so I think that what you experienced back then that got you into chiropractic is the same thing that we're experiencing now as a society. And the skills that you're going to talk about, hopefully, are things that we can put into practice for all of us. Yes. And, you know, I think one of the first keys is to identify what your beliefs are about change. Are you someone who is open to change, who's open to growth, who does believe that it's important to living a full, healthy, happy life? And or- I want to put, I want to point that out to something in there a little bit, because and we go back to this a lot. What your, what your mind thinks about that is not what you really believe. Like I can see people that I know as you're saying this mm-hmm. who are like, yeah, I totally believe that I should, should, should grow and change. But I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I mean, a lot of my clients were like that. Oh, I'm totally open to change. But like everything beneath that, beneath that surface concept that they held about themselves was the belief that the, that change was threatening. And so I want to, also just highlight that what you think you believe is not necessarily what you believe? Yes. 
And that's why, you know, identifying your beliefs or what you think you are, what they, you think they are, mm -hmm. is like the first step. Okay. Um, that's where we start. But it's not where things end. Because you're exactly right. And I just had this conversation with one of my clients today. And that is, okay, the beliefs and recognizing those. And then recognizing, too, that some of your beliefs may contradict other beliefs. Yes. Like, for instance, and I would say there's a contradiction with the people that you're mentioning, because if they truly believed that they're open to change and change is healthy, then they would be taking action and following through on change. It would, you would see it show up in their life. And that's what I pointed out with a client today was, okay, you can tell me and tell yourself that you believe X, Y, Z, but are your actions supporting that? And what she came back and said was no. And then I'm like, okay, why is that? Well, it's because there were other beliefs that were also operating that were working against the belief that I'm open to change. Change is, I can be happy with it, I can be healthy with it, and that's what was getting in the way is her beliefs were working against each other. I totally agree with that. Yeah. We've got so many layers of beliefs. It's like, a, 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 what is that? Filo dough dessert thing. That's so yummy. Baklava. So you've got all these like multiple layers of dough and the deeper you get down, the denser the layers are. So, you know, we think we've got stuff going on because we operate in the, the nice fluffy top level of beliefs, but deep down they're you know, they're really congested. And, and one of the things I have found when it comes to change is there's so much belief around what's allowed to change and how you're allowed to grow that people don't allow themselves to just organically grow. Like they have to grow in a particular way. It's almost like training for a marathon. You're allowed to get better and you're allowed to, you know, run more, but there's no other change that, that can take place that's allowed. And so it's, it's a really kind of a narrow bandwidth when it comes to what we allow ourselves to change. Change can only be one way. It has to look a particular way. There's nothing organic about it. It's, it's planned for, it's a goal oriented thing. And there's no coming into kind of the body and what, what the deeper spirit is inviting you to change into. It's, it's a very mind directed change. So I have found that to be true with people as well. And that is different than the baklava example, which is kind of its own standalone thing that we might talk about sometime or I might just make baklava <laughs> that's sounding really good right now. <laughs> I don't typically use baklava as, as the analogy or as the picture, but yes, what you, what you shared is why it's not easy for us to make change and why we're not always aware of what's getting in our way. And I, I share similar stories with clients because we can be really critical and judgmental of ourselves that we know that this change would be healthy for us and why the heck can't we actually follow through on it? Mm -hmm. And it's because there's a lot more layers. There's a lot more aspects of who we are as a whole being that are at play. Yeah. So I like to, I'm highlighting that because if somebody is listening to this, I want them to know that 
there are other things at work. And this is also why it can be beneficial to work with somebody when you find yourself uh, kind of beating your head against the wall or wondering why, despite everything that you're trying, everything that you are in fact changing, that you're not getting the results that you're looking for. And it's because within those layers, there's usually something going on that you haven't been able to identify and recognize and bring into alignment. And all of that is just further supports what we're talking about is change can be challenging. Change can be mm -hmm. hard. It can be painful. It can take time. And often in the pace of our society, what do we hear a lot of? Well, I don't have time. I don't have time. Mm -hmm. Or because the belief of what we see certainly in the media, certainly in advertising is quick results, quick mm -hmm. relief, quick resolution of, you know, X, Y, Z. And when we're talking about beliefs, we're often talking about something that we're addressing, looking at, working on um, that never ends. So there has to be a willingness to truly be, in my opinion, truly be healthy. Mm -hmm. Much like you mentioned a marathon, training for a marathon takes a level of commitment. I would be the first person to say emotional health and well-being takes commitment as well. Well, and I think one of the things that's really challenging about growth and change in this time in particular is that we're not really able to choose the kind of change that we might have been able to choose earlier like there's a lot of change that's being thrust upon us and a lot of ways that we are being invited to grow that we never had considered necessary before including some of the things we talked about in our last conversation about coming into intuition and into body wisdom about living more mindfully and and some of those things and so i think you know when we can choose the change we want to have that's challenging enough you know, and I know you and I both know that from working with people that it is, if you choose what you want, you have a lot of blocks to getting there generally, or you'd already have it. And so that's its own challenge. But right now, there's so many ways that we are being asked to change that, you know, we're looking at it and it's like, I don't even know if I want to change like that. Like, that's not a change that I would intentionally choose. What I would say with people is that Part, a lot of the change comes with how we interact with life, with our relationship with life, with actually accepting life as it is and living, you know, living life as it is rather than trying to make life something idealized or, or make it a particular way that right now, you know, we're in this place where we can really begin to respond to life as it's unfolding in the moment because kind of in this place where we can't create in the same way that we had thought we could create it in the past. And it may look much different, but uh, one of the ways of, of being in change is to learn how to navigate just the whole process of change within you. Um, but what would you say to people? Because right now, you know, the things that, that six months ago we were working for just might not even 
be applicable anymore. So if people are facing changes that they never had intended to want to make, what would you say about that? Well, there's a couple of things. One, if you find yourself angry and pissed off because Mm -hmm. you have to make changes and they're not changes that you chose, give yourself an avenue to express that anger in a healthy, appropriate way. whether it's, you know, you punch some pillows or write and write and write until you have nothing else left to write, or, you know, you go outside and scream and yell and jump up and down like in your backyard or (laughs) whatever the case might be, but allow that anger to be expressed. Yeah. The second thing would be then realizing you have a choice. You have a choice to continue to be angry, Mm -hmm. to continue to you know, express that anger maybe in less productive ways or hold it inside, which is not productive either because it's just taking up space and it's not serving or supporting you in any way. Mm -hmm. Or you can choose to take advantage of an opportunity that's being presented. It's that you probably heard this saying, I either got to do it or I get to do it. (laughs) I like that. You know, when we got to do it, it suggests, and the energy supports this, that we don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. Or we can choose that we get to do this, that we get to make some changes, and we become part of the solution versus part of the problem. I would also add, not choosing is a choice. So... Mm -hmm. If you don't take any action or you continue in whatever manner you have been, it's still a choice. It just may not be a choice that's moving you in the direction that you'd actually like to go. Well, I think one of the benefits of that too is you get to practice who you are in the midst of change, um, even if it's not a change that you would necessarily want to, to, to navigate. So we're all, we're all in this one together at this point. So And you get to choose who you are in that and you get to learn about who you are in change and who you, who you are when things are outside of your control and who you are in all of these things and how you are in all of these things. And and that might be a lot of self-revelation for people who are used to having a, having a lot of control over their life and a lot of control over their change. That instead of being a a person who, you know, you choose your goal, you choose your objectives, you, you know, you manage your change and you manage your growth in in a, in a very proactive way um, to find some of those softer skills of how do you show up to change that you don't have any control over and who are you in change and what are some of those deeper ways that you can play with change and get to know who you are as you are in this new space that is different than how you might have made changes and and managed growth in the past. Yes. I mean, and that's, you know, you brought up a really nice option for people you can choose to do it differently than you've done it before. You know, I I had somebody say it this way. I feel like my life is an experiment right now. Is the way that he put it was, I mean, in a time of unprecedented change, what better time than to throw your old rule book out, (laughs) throw out the way 
say that you've been doing things because of X, Y, Z and mm -hmm. be like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I really am called to do or what I really want to do. Or, you know, I don't know what I'm going to think about this, but I'm going to try. Mm -hmm. Versus feeling like you've got to, or choosing, I won't say feel, uh, yeah, choosing to somehow try to take your old model and apply it and make it fit to this one and find that it's not really working. Yeah, because my, my deep belief in this is that, that one of the movements within this deep time of change is that how we have learned to live in the past no longer applies. And so in this great pause that we're in, we have that time. I love that idea. And I've, I've thought about it myself. I just didn't think to say it or anything. But the idea that, that right now life is a giant experiment to figure out how we navigate in this space so that when we kind of come out of this kind of broiling uncertainty, we have the skill set to navigate from what is fresh and new. Because I think as things recreate themselves, they're going to continue to be a lot of creativity, a lot of moving forward, a lot of new ideas, a lot of new ways of navigating life that don't relate to what we've done in the past. And so I love the idea that life is an experiment right now to see how you manage your own life experiment so that you can continue to play in that game and that playground of experimentation versus trying to make things, um, you know, very status quo or very, very normalized again. Though I think, Christine, too, one of the things that I want to highlight there is some of the words that you chose because you talked about playing for instance mm -hmm. and this is where change why it feels hard and why our beliefs are important to identify and to continue to reevaluate as we move forward in this is for some people the idea of experimenting might mm -hmm. be i need very clear concrete steps that are given to me by somebody else oh uh, yeah and I need to do them exactly as they're written. You know, for instance, chemistry. Mm -hmm. Another idea of experimentation might be an artist or a dancer who's going to create or choreograph an original work. Mm -hmm. And the way that those are going to be approached are going to be two very different things, yet they both can be called experimentation. So mm -hmm. one of the beliefs that came up for me to bring up in this too, is if you have a belief that you cannot fail, that that's not allowed, that's not mm -hmm. okay, then experimentation and the idea of that, of that may be horrific and scary and not something that you're willing to do. So identifying what, you, what your beliefs are around failure. For some people, failing fast means they can get to positive results or positive change sooner. Mm -hmm. I know for myself, I was raised, failure was not acceptable. It was not an option. So it took me <laughs> almost 50 years to realize <laughs> that failure is okay. Failure is something I can do. And failure is just saying, 
that didn't work, and now I can move on to what might work. So this is a great example of how different beliefs in different areas of your life work together or against why change happens or doesn't happen or at what rate or pace change happens or doesn't happen. Can I make a comment on that too? Because th when you were bringing that up, I agree with you, by the way, but you also had said something and I just wanted to, to highlight that in a, a slightly different way is oftentimes when, when we're afraid of change and we're afraid of failure, we continue to do the same things mm -hmm. because they're comfortable and because that's, you know, we're, if we continue to do the same thing, surely we must be successful. And sometimes it's not trying something, intentionally trying something new that's the experiment. It is actually looking at your life and seeing what's actually not working that I've been doing that if I stopped doing it, I would label as failure that actually really needs something new. And so it was just a, a, just a different, it was just another layer of the failure piece in there. Cause I've had a lot of people as clients who, you know, they were taught to do something in a particular way and they just kept doing that because that was, you know, if, if they could continue to do that, even if it wasn't successful in the external terms, because it was what they were taught to do, if they stayed with that, they could be considered not a failure because they stuck to that particular belief yeah. system or thought system or whatever, instead of just, you know, trying new things to look and see like what actually is something that needs to change that if I let myself let it go, I could relabel it. So I'm not feeling like I'm a failure. I'm just trying something new that hasn't been working. So it was just that other side of of failure that sometimes we just continue on with things because they're familiar beyond a point where they're actually helpful and well, um, to, to, to stop doing it would be a form of failure. Yes. And this is where our beliefs also come in. I am safe. Even if I fail, I mm -hmm. am safe. Even if I make a mistake, I am safe. Even if I try a hundred different ways, to do this. And I say that because yes, we were often ingrained, taught, doctrinated, educated, you pick the word, um, <laughs> by our parents, by our teachers, by religious leaders, by other people in authority to do things a particular way for a particular reason. Mm -hmm. And it's that particular way for a particular reason that often gets us in trouble um, later in life because we weren't taught to be flexible, most of us. Yeah. I know there's some people who were, but we weren't taught to be flexible, to be versatile, to go with the flow, to think on our feet. We were mm -hmm. taught to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And often, to solve problems in a particular way. I mean, I think yes. common core math. Logical thinking. You know, right. Common core math and the way mm -hmm. you and I were probably taught math are two very different things. Yes. I know from having nieces and nephews, if I were to try to help them with math and show them the way that <laughs> I know, even if they could get the answer correct and show their work. Yeah they would get it wrong if they brought that in because mm -hmm. it wasn't the method that was taught to them. Right. 
And I do get that part of the reason for that is to make it easier for teachers or the people who are correcting things or have to follow through on things to be able to understand what was done. Mm -hmm. But again, we're not using our skill of being flexible, versatile, flex, I mean, um, yeah, to go with the flow, to think on our feet. I mean, you pick the phrase, yeah. and that's been, that contributes to this feeling, this is, I'll say, efficiency to keeping things the same is safer, easier, and what is, in most cases, expected. Yes. And, you know, and that's something that I often highlight to clients and remind myself is if we've been doing something for, in most cases, weeks, months, years, or even decades, mm -hmm. our nervous system has gotten really efficient at doing that. That pathway is going to work at much faster speeds. And in often cases, we're on that pathway before we even realize it. And so initially when we're making change, we've got to increase our awareness. We've got to be really clear on the change that we're making and have to recommit again and again to making that change. So that way, the new behavior, the new thought process, the new behavior, the new pattern that we're wanting to create can become more and more efficient. Because at some point, that will become the most efficient response. And we can result in our behavior being changed. Yes. And I also want to say something about that oftentimes the efficient response. So, you know, we've got, we have these patterns that are in play and so we have this efficient response and the body's response to breaking efficiency is often some form of fear. So sometimes it's a specific fear like failure or I'm not good enough or lack of safety or something like that. And sometimes it's just like this freezing up inside, like I'm doing it wrong. You know, this is, I've been doing it this way for so long. This is right. Cause we've just sort of encoded this in our system. This mm -hmm. is, doesn't make any rational sense, but I've done it this way for so long. This is right. This feels good. This feels normal. This feels different. So it feels wrong. And so one of the ways to begin to, that you, that people can play with this is to practice curiosity and practice curiosity and practice doing things differently in just ordinary everyday life. Like if you have a particular pattern that you get up in the morning, you know, you get up, you take your shower, you do this, you do this, you do this, especially right now where you might not even have the same like going to work sort of schedule. How can you vary your schedule a little bit? How can you vary some things um, with curiosity, with playfulness, with, well, I wonder what would happen if I did this today and got comfortable with curiosity and comfortable with shaking things up a little bit so that when you do that on some bigger things and some growth things, the idea and the feeling of changing your routine does not feel internally threatening. And that takes one level of fear away 
And it also helps you to live more creatively because instead of living by roteness and by default, you begin to um, pay attention to what you're doing. And then you can begin to say, oh, I think there's probably a better way to do this anyway. Let's play with that and imagine that and see what can happen with that. And you begin to, to recreate in ways that don't feel quite so threatening because you're internally directed toward curiosity and, and, seeing, and seeing how things are working in your life and how you might just change them up and, and tell yourself and experience that it doesn't actually hurt you to change things up in a non-threatening way. Yes. You know, I, I had a college professor. He also had um, a diplomate in neurology, so extra education in neurology specific. And he would talk about things like if you normally wore your watch or jewelry on your left hand, mm -hmm. that you put it on your right hand. If you normally brush your teeth with one hand, choosing the other choosing to sleep on a different side of the bed, mm -hmm. you know, and I know from sharing some of these ideas, certainly sleeping on another side of the bed, the people are like, what? No, I can't do that. You know? So these, you know, these basic, simple yeah. changes that don't have, in most cases, a huge impact on our lives, people right. don't want to change. Yeah. And, but like, you're right. If we give ourselves permission to start off small, pick a few things, or in this case, because so much has changed, what are the one or two things that if you got that change down would have the most positive impact on your day, mm -hmm. then start there. And then you can start adding other things. And again, you know, showing up and giving yourself permission to play with it. Give yourself permission to connect with somebody else who you know that you can support each other in playing with it. Create circumstances, much like you would an experiment in a science class. Set yourself up for success. What tools do you need? Mm -hmm. Oh, the tools I need is somebody to do it with me, even if it's virtually or on the phone that I can connect with, but to make it more fun. What do I need to be aware of? What's the, the container or space for my experiment? And part of that would be your beliefs and how you're showing up. But gather that information first. Make sure you've got the tools. Make sure you're clear on what you're doing and then set about doing it. Well, the other thing you may find too, and I, I talked about this in a, in a um, conversation with Katie, that I had started to walk differently. Like I had was in an experiential anatomy class uh, when I had my yoga teacher training and the, the teacher kind of commented on all of our gates on, on our walking and told us how we could walk more in line with what our body was. She could see how you were being, you know, compensating in different ways in, in your walking. So she'd always told me, if you walk like a gorilla for a while and you ultimately need to walk like a sailor, because if you walk like a gorilla for a while, you're, then you'll be able to walk like a sailor and that's, that's your normal gait. And I'm like, yeah. So I actually did that uh, recently because I've been doing a lot more walking because all my classes that I was teaching have been canceled. So I've been doing more walking. I thought, oh, I'm going to try the whole thing. So I was running like a gorilla because I couldn't walk like a gorilla and stay in, stay in 
walk. And I, then my body did adapt. I went from gorilla to sailor and I walk like a sailor. And the point of this is to, as you start making changes, you might notice that you are naturally making other changes because what happened, and I have no idea if they're connected or not, but I've been walking like a sailor now for a couple of weeks. And I've noticed that I am leading with my left hand in a lot of things. Like I'm becoming much more dexterous in my left mm -hmm. hand than I ever had been before. And I actually started practicing handwriting with my left hand because I haven't done that since grade school. And I'm, it's not bad. And I'm like, how did this happen? You know, like all of a sudden I'm finding I'm doing things with my left hand that I don't normally, I would never had normally had done. And so that just happened as a result of something. But because it was a, a physical thing and, and that was a physical thing, I'm correlating the two of those. So noticing that as you make a change in one part of your life, it might spur automatic changes in other parts of your life and then change begins to flow more easily. And it doesn't have to be like a, a huge change. Like, I don't know why my left hand's doing more and it's, I'm not making it into any giant, you know, wonderful thing, but it's an interesting change. And there's other things happening in my life that are more spontaneous kind of changes. So as you begin to change some simple things, you might find that, that not only does change come easier and growth come easier, but it becomes spontaneous and it happens. And then you notice that it's happening, but it doesn't require the same level of trying to have the cascade of changes happen in your life. Yes. All right. So do you have any, any last thoughts or anything that you would like to do before we, um, we wrap it up? I almost feel like we could have a second conversation about change because there's so many other avenues um, or there's so many other reasons why we don't find change to be easy or something that we want to do or that we follow through on doing. So I will, what I will say is choosing the belief, change is easy. Change is loving. Change supports me in healthy, happy ways. Choosing a belief that supports what you want to experience around change would be an excellent way to get started. Well, the one other thing I would add to that, and this is one like a, a belief that I've worked on with this as well, is that, you know, change can be good. Change can be helpful. Change can be beneficial. And to point out, you know, to look at the ways that change has been beneficial in my life, because oftentimes for me, I've known that like change feels threatening, even though most of the time change has been good. It's kind of like that deep DNA, you know, ancestral sort of thing that, that braces against change. And so for me, that change is safe, change can be good, change is beneficial, change supports me, change loves me, I'm always supported in change. Those kinds of beliefs as well have really helped me to be open to things as they shift and changes and change too. So I just add a couple of uh, potential beliefs that people can work on along with that. All right, so how can people reach you? The best way to reach me is my website theintuitivephoenix.com or on my facebook page the intuitive phoenix yay all right well we will have that that we're going to be in change for quite some time so i think we can probably have lots of conversations about it and it will not grow stale <laughs> it'll continue to be relevant as we move forward all right well it's been wonderful talking with you and i look forward to our next conversation as do i 
This is your host, Christine Madera. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation from the edge of consciousness. You can find all our conversations at conversationsfromtheedge.net. You'll also find links to schedule a private conversation with me or any of my friends, as well as tools to help you expand your own consciousness and explore what's possible for you outside the boundaries of your current perceptions. Feel free to use this podcast to start your own conversation by sharing it with friends, on social media, in your blog, or even in your own podcast. And as always, live the adventure of pushing your own edge. It's the most amazing adventure there is.